And then Jack, I believe, led one less song than he usually does. So that makes me think I might be getting a reputation. So I'll have to, I'll have to work on maybe cutting down the things that we talk about. For the last couple of weeks, though, what we've been talking about is uh, God's challenges and God's calls. Uh, we've been trying to present the idea that God has bigger things for us to do than just be good church attenders. Uh, we've noted that he called in the Bible both directly and indirectly. I believe that today what he does is he calls us indirectly. He presents us with opportunities and he guides us with his word and we see things that need to be done. Uh, but one of the questions that we've asked is, is how do you know what it is the Lord wants you to do in this life? You know, whether we're called directly or indirectly, we're admonished in the scriptures to be ready, devoted, and eager for every good work. And so hopefully what we are is people that are just itching for something to do. We're looking for a way to be of service to God. This morning we talked about being useful to God in ways that we can prepare ourselves to be useful. And, and so this evening what I wanted to do is, is try maybe briefly to answer that question. How do I know what it is I'm supposed to do? What's, what is my work? What is my place in the kingdom of God? If someone was to ask me, what do you do as a Christian? Or what is the evidence in your life that you are a Christian? What is it? Is it just that I don't do bad stuff? There's atheists that don't do bad stuff. What is it that I do positively for the kingdom of God? And in order to do that, one of the things that I wanted to spend a few minutes doing tonight is just trying to get in our mind maybe some examples of, of what is it that we can do. You know, generally when we talk about serving God, we think about preaching, which is the emphasis of the gospel to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But there's a number of other things that can help enable that and open doors for that that we can also be doing. Last week after the lesson, Jack had a list of 13 things. I think this is the 13. I might have added and subtracted a little bit, but from what I remember, these are some of the things that he talked about just in a list off the top of his head last Sunday afternoon of things that need to be done in and around the church. So things like leading singing and preaching and teaching, preparing the Lord's Supper, uh, doing uh, physical maintenance that needs to be done around the building, working on the yard and doing the mowing. He mentioned that's pretty much David's job, but I think it'd be okay with David if somebody else did it every once in a while. Um, there are constantly in this congregation and every congregation I've been a part of, there are folks who are sick and folks who are shut in, especially as people get a little bit older and they can't get out as much. Uh, somebody needs to be looking out for them and, and paying attention to them. He talked about sending out cards to people that, that visit and people that travel through, leading in public prayers. He mentioned the idea of just checking on people, looking around and, and just taking note of who might need some attention. We might need to do that, providing meals and assistance in times of, near, of need. Spending time in prayer for specific people and specific things are, are things that need to be done in the church. Sending out invitations and tracts when there's something going on. Uh, there's, a, there's an opportunity to work just coming up. We've mentioned this morning and tonight that our Vacation Bible School is coming up at the end of June. And that we need people to teach and to help the teachers in doing that. And that, that's a big, big project for a, a little congregation. We generally have a pretty big uh, Vacation Bible School. That, that's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And somebody needs to do that. And so there's a starting list to give us an idea of things that we can do, but I would still say those are mostly things that have to do with just maintaining this facility that we have and the various events that the church does. And there's, there's even broader things to do as we think about our lives as Christians. And so the next thing that we can consider is just things that we find in the Bible as far as ways to serve that are not directly preaching and teaching necessarily, but it may include those things. In the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 3, we, we know that David wanted to build the temple for God. And Nathan comes to him and says, go and do all your heart that's in your heart. And then the Lord sends Nathan back to say, no, I never asked for a temple. And when I want a temple, I'll ask for it. And furthermore, you're not going to build me a temple, but your son is going to build me a house. And David embraces that and recognizes that's not his job. So then what it looks like he spends the rest of his life doing is making all the preparations so that when Solomon gets ready to build the temple, David's already organized and planned and prepared everything for him. And so he didn't do the work himself, but he facilitated the work. We talked a little bit last week about Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter 1. That is, he saw the state of God's physical nation Israel. And he saw that the walls were broken down in Jerusalem. It looks like without a specific divine revelation, Nehemiah sees that that's his work. And he says, and the hand of God was on me to do this work. And he devotes himself to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Paul takes as his personal mission the work of preaching the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, First Corinthians chapter 9, and starting in verse 16, he says, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one as outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessings. And then if you're looking at Romans chapter 15 and verse 20, that's where he says he makes it his aim to preach where Christ has not been named. And so he's got this goal that even goes beyond what most preachers have. I know uh, some preachers today that, that uh, apologies Mark, but I know some preachers that say, I only want to preach in Kentucky. Uh, some preachers say, I only want to preach in Alabama, or I only want to preach in Texas. So I want to preach the gospel, but I, just want, but I want to do it in a place that's convenient for me. Paul says, I want to go where nobody's ever heard of Jesus before, and that's where I want to talk about Christ. And furthermore, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I want to do it free of charge. It's, it's my burden. It's my responsibility. He had a very clear sense of what his mission in life was, partly because God directly told him, this is your job, uh, but to go and to preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. We read about someone else who has uh, maybe a more generic responsibility that they've taken upon themselves. He talks about the household of Stephanus there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. He says, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service or the ministry of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and labor. So I, I don't know that I can say specifically what it is that they have done or what they are doing. But he says they've devoted themselves to serving the saints. And maybe you've seen people like that, that they have just made it their mission in their life to do whatever anybody needs done in order to encourage them or to help them. I know I'm going through fast, but I'm trying not to preach too long. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 10, when it talks about 
those widows who are widows indeed, and those that can be enrolled in the number and be taken care of by the church. In verse 9, it says, Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children and has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And so you've got just a short little summary list of, of some types of works of service that might have also been the kinds of things that the household of Stephanus did. In Titus chapter 3, we already looked at pretty extensively last week, but when Titus is being told to encourage the brothers to be devoted to good works, in verse 8 he says these things are excellent and profitable for people. And then in verse 14 he says, Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So as he describes those things as being excellent and profitable and filling urgent needs, what, what I see there at least is, is they are doing their good works in order to be an encouragement to people, uh, specifically being an encouragement to the brethren. Sometimes you see little kids do that, or I see my kids do that. They just do things simply in order to make somebody else happy. Uh, as adults, maybe we get away from that a little bit. But, but do you ever just see that somebody needs cheered up? And take it upon yourself to cheer them up and to encourage them to keep going. That's something I think that we see in Titus. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, Paul talks to Timothy about devoting himself to the public reading of Scripture. And that's something that I wish that we would think about a little bit more seriously. Sometimes we treat our Scripture readings on Sundays as just an afterthought. You know, we just kind of throw it in there and we kind of stumble and mumble through the words. But reading the Bible as the story that God is telling. And reading it expressively is something that is edifying and encouraging and builds up. And very often, if we, if we read correctly, we don't really need to add a whole lot of commentary to just read the story of what's going on. The public reading of Scripture. It wouldn't bother me at all if there would be some in the congregation that would just make it their mission in life to be excellent readers of the Scripture. That can be so uplifting. In Third John, John speaks to Gaius. And he commends him for what he is already doing and encourages him to continue doing it. In 3 John, beginning in verse 5, he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. And so what we see Gaius doing, it looks like, is enabling and sending out those who are preaching the gospel, sending workers to preach, even workers that are strangers to him. Which again is interesting to me when I'm trying to think about what it is that I can do, or you're thinking about what it is that you can do in the kingdom of God. We understand very clearly that supporting the preaching of the gospel is the work of the church. But what we see in Gaius is that that's also a work that individuals can do if they have the ability and if they have the means to do it. And it looks like Gaius is doing that, and John says that's a faithful thing that you're doing. That's a service that you're rendering to God by sending others out. Think about Luke, the doctor, Luke, the physician. What it looks like his job was in the kingdom of God is just chronicling the work of the gospel. 
at the beginning of each of his letters in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. He says in verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Again in Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And then he kind of picks up the story where the gospel of Luke left off. And so we read in Acts about Luke traveling with, with Paul and with some of the others. And it looks like his main mission was taking notes and keeping track of what was going on so that he could tell the story later. So is that something that could be done today? We might talk about that some more. Helping brothers in need. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And again, I know some of these things are things that we primarily think of as the church's work. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking a part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And, and what, the reason I'm putting this as, a, as an individual responsibility is in Acts 16, I believe, when the prophecy is made about the famine that's going on in, Ju in Judea, or that was going to be going on in Judea. And Agabus stands up and talks some about that. It says the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers that were dwelling in Judea. So it was a far cry from simply... The elders saying, we have this much money in the bank and we're going to send it to this need. But rather, each one thought about it and thought about what he could do to help and took it upon himself to help. And, and even here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, those who didn't have much money wanted to be helping needy saints. In Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, the apostles said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's something that individual Christians can do today as well, just being devoted to knowing and serving the Word of God and praying to God. And in that same chapter, uh, what's going on is there is a, a growing need among the widows in the church in Jerusalem. And so in verse 1, it says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The solution in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them, 
And the word of God continued to increase. And so here's this need, and these seven guys are chosen to fulfill that need. And if it's that big of a need that it takes seven people to administer it, administer it, and it's a daily distribution, how much of their attention do you suppose that took? And how much time did they have for anything else? If they're maintaining their own families and taking care of their own jobs and also taking care of this need, this is probably the thing that they're devoted to. This is what their work is in the kingdom of God. This is interesting too. It ties into what we were talking about this morning when we talked about preparing ourselves to be useful in the kingdom of God. And in 2 Timothy, he talks about putting away iniquity and putting on righteousness and being careful about the word of God. And those were all things we talked about this morning. Notice for this, uh, I just lost the word, but in our sense anyway, this is a non-spiritual task, right? This is, this is a deacon's job. This is a physical need that needs to be met. Even for that kind of work, the apostles say you need a spiritual person to do this. You need a faithful person to do this. You need someone who's full of the Holy Spirit to do this kind of work. Even for these kind of tasks, we need to equip ourselves by putting away iniquity. And those are the types of ones that are chosen. In Acts chapter 9, we read about Dorcas. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 36, it says, There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping, and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And so there's a great miracle worked on her behalf. She gets sick and she dies and she's brought back to life. But look at what's notable about her. Verse 36 says she was full of good works and acts of charity. And verse 39, it's more specific. Uh, the widows are showing the tunics and the other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And so her service, her work that she is doing, looks like she's a good seamstress. And so she uses that to serve others and she makes articles of clothing and gives them to other people. Are there types of things that we can do uh, today that are like that? Yes, probably. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 16, Paul says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Remember in Matthew 25 when Jesus says, I was sick and in prison and you came to me? That's what Onesiphorus did. That's a hard name to say. That's what he did though. When he heard Paul was in prison in Rome, he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. Have you ever gone to see somebody in prison? It's a hassle. Because often prisons are not close by. 
And even if they are, then you got to go through the guards and you got to be searched. And, and it, it's, it takes time. Uh, when I used to do it in Pennsylvania, it always took a whole day to go spend an hour with a guy in jail. You know, it takes time. And, and Onesiphorus took the time to do that. And that's to his credit. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You think the Lord doesn't notice? when you do? It's something that matters. And that's, that's the job that that particular fellow took upon himself. In 2 Corinthians 8, we read about Titus being sent. And he, he's just the messenger carrying the relief to the needy saints in Judea. There are things like that that happen today. There are places in the world where you cannot send mail. Uh, if you do send it, they will open it and steal everything that's in it. Uh, a few years ago, there was a need in Africa where Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the church, were going hungry because the famine was there and the lawlessness was there. And there were brothers in the United States that wanted to send help to them. But if you send money, they'll confiscate it. If you send food and supplies, the government takes that. And then they pass it out in their name and the people that you intend for it to get don't get it. And so I know a few preachers that became the guys that personally carry that stuff over to deliver it. That kind of thing still needs to be done in places today. In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5, and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and in Colossians chapter 4, and in Philemon, we, we see several that what is said about them is that they hosted the church in their house. Now we have the blessing here that you don't need to do that. We have a church building. We have accommodations but that's something that people can do to serve God is enable uh, the gathering together of the saints and then in Colossians chapter 4 verses 12 through 13 we, we read about Epaphras and what the Bible tells us about him he is one of you verse 12 a servant of Christ he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. When Paul says in verse 13 about Epaphras, I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. What's, what's the work? What is it that he was doing hard for them? I believe it's verse 12. Struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Several months ago, Jack mentioned that he prays for everybody in the congregation by name. I really appreciate that. Uh, that matters. I appreciate it because it shows concern and love for everybody in the congregation. I also appreciate it because I believe that it's rare. Often when we say, I'm going to pray for you, it's, it's just almost like the thing you're expected to say, isn't it? But then to know that there was someone who really does struggle in their prayers and think about their prayers and spend time in their prayers on your behalf. That means something. I have an uncle that uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, the only Christian in my family, the generation ahead of me. Uh, but he was uncle to, well, I don't know how many, bunches and bunches of nieces and nephews. And he talked about how long the list was getting. <laughs> You know, as, as he went to bed at night and began his prayers, and with everybody that he had to pray for, that he had to he had to go to bed early, so he'd have time to pray for everybody. I appreciate a man like that. That's real service that someone is doing here. It's called a struggle. It's called hard work to be praying for somebody. That's something that that we can do and spend our time 
doing. Now, that's not an exhaustive list of, of things by any means. I, I actually stole all that from a sermon I preached a few years ago uh, here about the different ways that you can find people working for God in the Bible. But, but I hope what it does is it gives us an idea that there are all kinds of things that we can do to serve others and to glorify God that we don't have to just think about what is there in the church building or at the church building that needs to be done. There's a whole lot more than that that needs to be done. And so the next thing that I wanted to think about for a few minutes, as we looked at all those examples in the scriptures of things to do, what are some things that still need to be done today? What does somebody need to take upon themselves today? And this might get me in trouble because I said last week, if you think something needs to be done, maybe you're the guy to do it. <laughs> and I thought of all these things, so maybe I'm the, <laughs> maybe I'm the guy to do them. Uh, someone needs to be praying and thinking about the church here and planning for the future of the church here. The elders already do that. The elder, elders already think about it. They talk about it occasionally, if you spend any time talking to them. They're very concerned that we have three elders, fully qualified men, good men as elders. Who's coming up behind them? Who here is qualified to be a deacon? I am not worried about the next 10 or 20 years. I'm convinced Jack and Carrie and David will all still be here. But 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, where is the church going to be? Now, some of you are here on the shoulders of people who dedicated themselves and devoted themselves to God in this place a generation ago. And you're here because they did God's work and because they trained you and because they equipped you is anybody here thinking about 50 years from now in this congregation? Somebody needs to do that. Somebody needs to be working on that. Capturing the hearts of young people. And I know I've talked about before, uh, the statistics are, are discouraging and staggering of the number of children who grow up in the church, and as soon as they grow up, they leave the kingdom of God. We have seen it here. Young people who obey the gospel, and within months, they're gone. What do we do about that? Cry about it? Shake our heads at it? Talk about what a shame it is? Is somebody going to round those kids up? No. Establish relationships with them. Have influence on them. Some of you in this congregation do that. I appreciate that. When I was growing up in the church in Brownsburg, there were probably 15 different families that kind of informally just took it upon themselves to host all the young people in the congregation. So once a month, we were at somebody's house doing something. Sometimes it was a Bible study. Sometimes it was a potluck kind of thing. Sometimes it was a game night. And what it was all about was trying to establish a relationship. And those people that had us in, our, in their house periodically throughout the year, those were the ones that also, when a 16 or 17-year-old or a 15 or 14-year-old kid is stumbling, they're the ones that can come alongside and say, hey, and you'll listen to them. And that happened. Somebody needs to be doing that in the church. Maybe a few somebodies need to be doing that. Visiting the ones who are older. We all have the excuse that we don't have time. Life is busy. We're busy. We've got kids to raise. We've got jobs to do. We've got responsibilities. We have places to go. Somebody needs to visit the ones that can't get out very much. That's something that somebody can take upon themselves and do. That still needs to be done today. 
we took, noted a couple examples in the Bible of, of people who just devoted themselves to prayer. That's what they were all about. That is not a cop-out, and that's not a small work. That's a big work to specifically be paying attention and looking for those who are struggling, whether it's physical or spiritual, and saying, it is my job to make sure that person is being prayed for and being before God constantly. That's something that needs to be done yet today. Looking out for the ones that are lonely. I am rarely lonely. I've got a house full of people uh, surrounding me. There's always voices. There's always stuff going on. And it's easy to forget that there are people, even within this congregation, who spend most of their time all by themselves. And nobody's thinking about them. And nobody's aware of what's going on in their mind. Nobody knows what they're worried about. And it doesn't occur sometimes to invite them into our busy lives because they're lonely. Somebody can do that. Somebody can look around and say, there's someone who needs some attention. I mentioned Luke for a reason. There's still work to be done in the kingdom of God. There's still work going on in the kingdom of God. In Philippians chapter 3, one of the things Paul says there in verse 17 is, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it ever discouraging to you that every time you look around for an example, it's a disappointing example? And it's someone that's going to lead you into more and more ungodliness. And even in the church, sometimes it feels like most of the people in the church are filled up with worldly thoughts. And Paul says that's even going on here. Many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those are people within the church, he says. They're walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. What can we do about that? What he says is, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Look for those who are being a godly example. Look for those who are doing great things in the kingdom of God. Not, not worldly standard great things, but by God's standard great things. Look for those who are really being true, honorable servants of God and pay attention to them and take note of them. Is anybody taking notes? Do you know the sacrifices that Christians are making throughout the world? Do you know the work that people are doing in the kingdom of God? Do you know the good news that is to be found? Or do you only ever know the bad stuff? Because that's all that's in the news. Wouldn't it be cool? And this is the one that I'm afraid might be my job. <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be cool if somebody was paying attention like Luke was and writing down and chronicling the good work that people are doing for God in this community and in the nation and throughout the world and you could read those stories and hear about those things and be encouraged by them and have an example to look up to, wouldn't that be neat? I think Jack did that at least once. He, he's at least written a history of this congregation. Uh, I hope I gave that back. I know he gave it to me at one time. Uh, <laughs> good. Don't ever give me something if you don't have another copy. But those kinds of things, somebody could do that. That would be a thing that would glorify God. That would be of service to other Christians. Who could do that? Raising godly kids doesn't happen by accident. And that's a full-time job. 
And so when you've got young mothers and young fathers, they're in the middle of raising their kids. That may be all they can do right now in the kingdom of God is just do everything in their power to ensure that those souls grow up to be faithful and loyal to God. And if that's the position you're in, that's probably what you need to do. Providing for your family and for your extended family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul says, if anyone doesn't provide for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, it tells you then that by doing that, by providing for your own, you are serving God, you're glorifying God. And that's a full-time job. Sometimes that's all we can do for a season in our life. Here's a big one. Somebody needs to be advising and encouraging, but not criticizing young parents. That's discouraging. Sometimes I have the privilege, if you can call it that, of, of hearing muttered complaints about the noisy kids in the congregation or about what the kids are failing to do or what they need. I'll tell you what young parents need is someone to come along and say, here's how you can do that. Here's some help. Here's some encouragement. And in that same vein, then, we need people to be spiritual fathers and mothers, or, if you like, we need people to be spiritual <coughs> grandfathers and grandmothers to kids. I believe that just about every child reaches a point where someone else can tell them the same thing that mom and dad told them, and they'll believe it when somebody else tells them. Because they just reach that point where, where they need something else besides their parents uh, reaffirming and supporting the things that their parents are trying to teach them. And again, this may be something that falls through the cracks for some of you. Some of you are literal grandparents of the kids in this congregation. You know, we've never lived close to our parents. So my kids see their grandparents a couple times a year. We now have the blessing that Allison's parents live an hour away. That's been the first time in our life, and some of my kids are half-grown or, or more. And it's been such a blessing to us that in every congregation we've worked with, there have been older Christians to kind of be surrogate grandparents to my kids, to take an interest in them, to talk with them, to enjoy them, but also to guide them, to talk about spiritual things with them and look for ways to do that. It'll also keep you young, by the way. If instead of being irritated by the kids, you start getting to know them, that'll do something for you. Praying and watching for open doors. Remember, we saw that last week when Paul was asking the church to pray for him that he might have an open door to preach the gospel. And do we do that? Do we, do we think much about what are we going to do next? Where are we going to go? Where, where is an avenue for the gospel that hasn't been pursued yet? Uh, I talk to Dempsey Collins a lot. He thinks that way. Uh, he, he's been talking for the last year or so about and don't tell anybody in Winsboro <laughs> but he's been talking about and thinking about uh, going and working among the Spanish speaking communities that are here in the United States they're growing and they're bigger uh, all the time and many of the people in those communities are devout people, they're religious people and they may very well be open to hearing the gospel now Dempsey's problem is the problem that a lot of us have is he sees that need but he doesn't speak Spanish and so we start looking for where are the avenues, where are the places to go, and then we start praying about that and, and praying for that door to open up even further, and we start equipping ourselves and, and thinking about how are we going to go through that. 
Somebody can do that. Developing the ability to talk easily with non-believers about God. Is that anything that anybody finds easy? When there's opposition, when there is uh, aggressive opposition to the Word of God, isn't it more tempting just to keep your mouth shut? And couldn't some of us really start thinking about and working and developing our skills as to how to talk to people in their language so that we can maybe draw them closer to God? We're not all going to be good at it, but maybe some of us could make a specialty out of that. (coughs) Applying our physical talents to the needs of others is something that still needs to be done today. You know, we saw Tabitha or Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. That's what she did. She had a physical ability. She could, she could make things. And so she did. She sewed things. Well, the application of that is not limited to if you're a good seamster or seamstress to make things. But you may have the physical talents of a strong back that you can lend to someone else that doesn't have a strong back. You might have a talent in cooking or crafting or, or building or creating things. And you can use that to the service of others, and to the glory of God. And we don't want to neglect preparing to be deacons and elders, and deacons' wives and elders' wives. Most guys don't just wake up at 65 and they're suddenly qualified to be an elder. And you have to have spent your life getting ready for that. And the same thing for being a deacon and the work of preaching. I don't know what to say about that except... Very often I look around and I think the best preachers are the old ones. And I know some of you think the same thing. Some of the greatest ones are even at this point, they're not even preaching much anymore because they've gotten old, they've gotten tired. Some of them have died. And who's, who's coming along after them that's going to have the kind of influence that they had? You know, how many kids in their teens and 20s are thinking already, maybe I'll preach the gospel. Somebody needs to do that. Maybe that's for you to do. Last week we talked about all those different categories of gifts and everything that we talked about tonight falls into those kinds of categories. Uh, I was just trying to make a list even this afternoon some more. When you think about service, service is not the same as benevolence. Benevolence is acts of mercy down there at the bottom. Service is just service. Just doing something for someone else, not because they're needy, not because they're incapable, but because you can serve them. It, it can be things as small as carrying groceries, helping with car repairs, taking people to doctor's visits, babysitting, house cleaning, doing home repairs for those who can't do it themselves or need help. It's not benevolence. It's just being of service to others. Maybe you can do that. Maybe you can spend some time doing that. The work of teaching. There's Bible classes to teach. There's informal studies to be had. There's conversations to be had. There's studies with adults, studies with women, studies with men, studies with children. There's studies that seasoned Christians need. There's studies that new Christians need. There's studies with unbelievers. Maybe you can't teach in all those categories, but can you teach in some of those categories? The work of exhortation. That's a specific gift that the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12 that some have. What is exhortation? It's providing the nudge for the timid, and for the young, and for those who are struggling. It's exhorting those who relax in meeting with other Christians, exhorting those who have abilities that they may not be aware of to go ahead and act on it and try, 
to do something, exhorting those who are discouraged and weary and facing problems and challenges to their faith. Some of us are good at that. Some of us just come off as nags when we try to do it. So if you're good at it, maybe that's the thing for you to do. It's interesting to me in Romans chapter 12 that, that contributing or giving is described as a gift. Some can give more readily than others. They've been blessed through their hard work, through their wisdom, through good fortune, with financial means beyond what others may have. And so then the responsibility is to find worthy things that they can support and enable. Some of us can do that. And that kind of makes it a responsibility for some of us to do it. The work of leading or the gift of leading. Leading is different than being in charge. A leader is one who inspires others to action through their own action. I came up with a, a few quotes from some business executives as, as to what they define leadership as. One says a leader is a person who influences a group of people towards the achievement of a goal. Another one says leadership styles different, differ, but at the core, good leaders make the people they are leading accomplish more than they otherwise could. And here's the one that I liked best. Leadership is the ability to take an average team of individuals and transform them into superstars, which is pretty much what Jesus did with those 12 that he gathered around himself. Some of us, again, are better at that than others. Some can see what needs to be done, and they have the ability to inspire others to move towards that goal. They have the confidence and the focus to overcome obstacles and get the job done. Some people are good, gifted, natural leaders. Now, some potentially great leaders are also humble. That is, they're unwilling to put themselves forward as leaders. Remember Moses. Moses was more meek than anyone. And yet God says to him, you need to be a leader. Now, if that's you, you're good at it, but you're, you're afraid to put yourself forward. You're sorely needed. There are others who are good leaders, and they know what hard work it is to be a good leader. And they just don't want the hassle. Now, what a shame. You know, if God's given you that ability and you don't want the work, so you don't do it. And then finally, there's acts of mercy, showing benevolence. Some of us know how to do that with, with grace and offer help to others who are in need without humiliating them. And that's a gift that we need among us. And there's certainly more than those. And again, I gave you all of that just, just to try to convince you that there's a lot more to do than preaching and teaching Bible classes. There's a whole range of things to be done for the glory of God and in the kingdom of God. And God calls us to be useful. He calls us to be fruitful. And so we need to be asking ourselves, what is it that I do? What is it that I can do in the kingdom of God? And so what is it that you are supposed to do? And there's three questions that I think that you can ask. One is simply, what do I know I can do? What can I do? In Mark chapter 14, there's a woman that comes and she anoints Jesus uh, for burial before he dies. And what Jesus has to say to her, I think, applies to what we're talking about. In Matthew chapter 14, she, brought, she brings this expensive ointment, and the disciples are irritated by that. They say, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. In verse 6, Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done or what she has done will be told 
in memory of her. That seems to be this lady's thought process. What can I do to honor Jesus? And this was it. And Jesus says, well, she did what she could. And she gets credit for that. For eternity, she gets credit for that. And even today, we're still talking about that because it was recorded for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, it says roughly, if there's first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a person has and not according to what he does not have. So the first question that I need to ask is, what can I do? But then the next question is, what opportunities do I have? What, what things are right in front of me? Because something else the Bible, Bible teaches is that God is able to make you able to do things that you didn't think you could do. And so when you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 8, Paul says that God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He declares God, God can make you able to do it. He can give you the tools that you need. He can give you the resources that you need if you'll just have the courage to step out and do that. Philippians chapter 1. In verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There he's talking about spiritual growth. Again in chapter 2, and in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. God's involved in the things that we do. He can make us stronger than we are, and more capable than we are. And so sometimes we need to have a little faith and just say, what opportunity is in front of me? And try it. And then the third question that we can ask is, is what is it? that others think that you can do. Because sometimes other people know you better than you know yourself. And some people see potential in you that you don't see in yourself. And you see that with Mordecai in the book of Esther in chapter 4 and verse 14. It doesn't look like in the book of Esther that it even occurs to Esther that she's the one to solve this problem. But Mordecai says, who knows but whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's the one that exhorted her and inspired her and motivated her. What do others think that you can do? Has anybody ever said, you know, maybe maybe you can do this. I think you'd be good at it and you'd dismiss it maybe we need to listen occasionally in Acts chapter 6 verses 3 through 5 note uh, that when there's that need in Jerusalem for someone to take care of the needy widows in Jerusalem Peter does not say ask for volunteers to take care of this but instead he says select from among yourselves seven men full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith who we can appoint to this work so the congregation looked around and they said we think these seven guys would be good at that what do others think that you can do? And those are at least a few tools that we can use. What do I already know I can do? What has somebody suggested that I do? What opportunities are right in front of me? But hopefully it's just a mindset that we begin to have. And that's, that's been what I've been trying to encourage the last couple of weeks. And probably after this I'll leave you alone for a little bit about it. But I've been trying to encourage that mindset that says, I want to be useful in the kingdom of God. What can I do? I want us to be asking the question that Isaiah asks in Isaiah 6. Here am I, send me. Just give me a job and I'll be happy to do it. And what would the church look like if it was just filled with people champing a bit to do something to glorify God? And that's, that's his call. That's what he died for. He's to create for himself, Titus says, his own special people who are zealous for good works. Does that define you? Does that define me? I hope it does. That's the call that God gives.